In this episode, we're going to talk with a business coach who helps businesses become more valuable, can scale, and so that it's not dependent on the owner. We're going to find out how you can make your business more valuable so that if you wanted to sell it, you can have a business that sells for a higher amount, or if you wanted to keep it, you'll have a more profitable business. This is P is for Profit. You're listening to the P is for Profit podcast with Adam Lean, where it's not about how much you make. It's about how much you keep and how much freedom you enjoy. Welcome to P is for Profit. My name is Adam Lean and I, along with the rest of the team at the CFO Project, are passionate about helping business owners improve the profit of their business. We do this by breaking down important business concepts into simple and clear language. My guest today is a business coach and consultant who helps businesses become more valuable and allows them to scale so that the business is not dependent on the owner. Christian, welcome to the show. Hey, Adam. It's good to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited. I mean, this is a a very important topic because whether or not a business owner uh, wants to sell their business one day or just keep it and pass it down to their kids, the the bottom line is the business has to become profitable and and more valuable. And in order to do that, you have to be able to to scale and have a business that's not dependent on the owner. So I'm excited to to talk about this. Uh, But before we dive in, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us who you are and why you started working with business owners. I'm based in Anchorage, Alaska. I provide coaching and consulting mostly to owners or to boards or to C-suites of usually small and medium-sized businesses, usually privately owned. I got into my work sideways. I started out in actually the international disaster relief world and community development world. And I just started to see that the projects and programs I was working in um, were successful or not dependent. It didn't have anything to do with the security or the, you know, often we were working in war zones or disaster zones. Our success had really less to do with the environment around us and had more to do with the team leadership and the quality of team life. And so I just became fascinated with that, with leadership and teams and the dynamics around that. And um, just started working with it. And I originally started out very heavily in the nonprofit sector, but over time started working more and more with businesses. Business owners were asking me to work with them. And, and, uh, and now, um, because uh, in the United States, 70% of all businesses are owned by baby boomers, and they're all thinking about, or most of them are thinking about what's next. Um, it just becomes this really important question of how do you build a business that can, uh, well, you can harvest the wealth and the value out of the business if you want to sell or create one that doesn't require your full-time attention. Hmm. Oh, that's very interesting. What, so primarily, what, uh, what do you help your clients do specifically? Well, um, you, you meant, well, obviously this is a, a, the P is for profit podcast. So there's this emphasis on profit, but what many, many of the businesses who come to me are very profitable and they're run successfully. And so what's a surprise to many of these owners is that profitability doesn't necessarily translate into salability or basically a profitable business isn't necessarily attractive to a potential investor. Or even if it is, it might not be attractive to the bank behind that investor or whoever's providing some of the money on the, on the backside. And the reason for that is many profitable businesses, particularly in the small and medium-sized range, there's something about the way they're designed or built 
that doesn't allow them to come under new ownership and then continue to thrive. So uh, and it, does that make sense? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, it's, especially so, with businesses that pass their their business on to their kids. Yep. Of all the businesses that go to market this year, last year, the year before that, statistically, depending on the industry, only 70 to 80 percent, depending on the size and industry, were never a, and will never find a buyer. They'll just shut down. So that's to me is tragic for people who've you know spent totally decades agree. building a business, all the sacrifices, the risks that you take on, all the effort, and most of those folks have their full retirement nest egg, or most of it is ideally in the sale of their business, and they won't get that back out. And it's about the same statistic of failure for, for families who pass on to management or to family. Within a couple of years, most of those businesses also are not able to return the value. And so the, uh, um, so I, but the, the interesting thing in this is that to to turn those numbers around for many businesses is not that hard. It's not that difficult. Um, it's really about focusing on things like making a business so that it's not dependent on the owner. Probably the most typical situation I run into is a business where the owner is, you know, they're the, the chef, cook, and bottle washer. They do everything. And, um, and so because they're the one who knows what's going on in the business, they handle the books, they're the primary salesperson, maybe they're the primary service provider, uh, even for pretty large, what people might consider as a pretty large company in terms of the small, medium-sized market, you still have people in that place. And uh, that's a, you, you're not selling the owner with the business or, or they do actually. And then the owner becomes an employee. They have what's called a buyout period. Mm -hmm. In in a sales, to, and we don't need to get all the details, but what happens is an owner then gets converted to an employee, and for them to earn out their full sale amount, they have to stay and basically put that value in the business now as an employee that they can't of a business they can't control anymore. And um, it it often is not what people expect, but they can do those things in advance. Um, it's fairly typical for people to increase the value of their business by three hundred to five hundred percent. I mean, it's pretty significant. And uh, um, just by doing some simple things like moving away from owner dependence, putting in some systems, uh, changing some of the way they relate to their customers, it's it's um, and the benefit is that also all of those things make a more profitable business as well. Yeah, I mean, most businesses are started by people who are experts in their craft. So yep. a, a plumber starts a business because they're a plumber, and. Yep. And therefore, that person is the one usually doing operations or leading the team that's doing the operations. Uh, and you're right; they're not able to to get out of the day to day operations. Let's. Uh, I want to. I want to talk about two things, and uh, and we'll get to the the how to make the business more valuable, or, or some tips that that you can give us on how to make the business more valuable, but what are some, some solutions that the business owners can put into place now? But let's, let's first touch on what you mentioned earlier. You know, you were in the field working for the disaster relief and you noticed that, um, that it really wasn't the environment that was the problem it, or, or that was the, the, the reason why a team succeeded or not. It was because of the leadership. So tell me a little bit more about that. Can a team, uh, the same people on a team perform differently under two different leaderships. Like in other words, is it really the leader, the business owner, 
that is the the answer versus just making sure that you have the best people on your team? Yeah, that's a great, great question. So I'm hearing two questions. One is about the environment and how that does or doesn't mm-hmm. impact success. And the other one is about same team, different leaders. Yep. So uh, let me tell a story about the first one. So I used to work in Southern Sudan. At the time, it was before it was its own country. And so we called it Southern Sudan, now South Sudan. Um, there were two communities, two different tribes. So there's differences going on. but they're, And they were in the same region of Sudan. They were not next to each other, but in the same area. One of those communities received enormous amount of support. They were viewed as one of the worst off communities, hardest hit by the war and by famine and by the diseases that were coming through. And they just received a lot of support from aid agencies, from the UN, from various groups. Um, the agency I worked with at the time had a medical clinic there, and they were the primary medical provider in that for the country. The uh, um, And they persistently just were constantly dealing with problems. Like solutions did not come from the community. They were just constantly needing outside support and engagement. And what you found in working with the leaders is that they were more focused often on how do they take advantage of all of this support and resources coming through as opposed to like personally take advantage and benefit from it as opposed to how do they work to benefit the community. And at the same time, you would see issues within our own teams. Like if the projects were struggling, it often didn't have to do with whether or not we were funded well. It had to do with whether or not the team was led well internally. Another community, not that many, not that far away, had been a recipient of support like this about 15 years ago. And then due to politics and sort of sometimes the fickleness of the way aid is distributed and all those kinds of things, they fell off the radar. They were still, they were kind of in a pretty backwater area. I mean, all of Sudan is fairly backwater, but they were even more so than a lot of other places. And they had experience receiving a lot of support and now they were receiving nothing. And we were only there because there was a new epidemic of, I can't remember anymore. It was like yellow fever or something was sweeping through. So we were part of a a leading edge of trying to inoculate people and vaccinate people before that to try to create essentially a vaccination firebreak so it wouldn't keep sweeping across the country. And while we were there, I was interviewing a, a lot of the leaders in the area, and it was amazing the amount, uh, the way the leaders were working to build and benefit the community. So even though they didn't have resources, they didn't have support, they decided, well, we're going to make it happen anyways. We're going to work on behalf of our people. And the community as a whole was doing better than the previous community that we had been in that were with recipients of enormous amounts of support. And that's where I began to see that communities that have effective leadership just tend to prosper. They just tend to do better than, and they're more resilient than communities that don't have it. And there's more at place than just the leadership, but that's a, I, I've seen that dynamic replicated over and over again, and it's replicated in companies as well. That regardless of the economics of a situation, if your economy is going down or the national economy is going down, some companies are going to keep taking off. They're going to grow. They're going to expand. They're going to use that opportunity to dominate the market. And it's because of the leadership. It's not because of the economy. They're just, they have a set of leaders and management team that are, who built the culture and they have a mindset that says we can make this happen. And then other groups will just hunker down and hope they survive. And they often, sometimes they don't, sometimes they take their hits. 
but it's it's about leadership. Does that is that? Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. That makes sense. So, how can business owners uh, themselves, who are the obviously the leader of their business, what can they do to ensure that they are effective at leading their team? Because I, I think a lot of people, you know, don't re, you know think about the fact that payroll, you know, your employees are one of the largest expenses that uh, you know in your business, and right. and it's what you're saying is that the success, the effectiveness of that large expense is based on the owner's leadership ability. So what what are some tips that the business owners can do to improve their leadership ability? Yeah, no, that's a that's a great question. And and I think this also ties into your question earlier question that I didn't answer about, you know, does the same team respond differently to two different kinds of leaders? And ab- mm-hmm. absolutely it does. And the research is very strong around that, that leadership has a huge impact on, on how a team will function and perform. Uh, just a couple of tips, because it kind of depends on, you know, are you dealing with a team that's, you know, in a kind of an ER of a hospital, has a different ne- leadership dynamic around it than if you're dealing with an engineering firm or, you know, other kinds of firms. So it depends a little bit on what you're working with. But what seems to be pretty universal, what I find is that a couple of things. One is there has to be clarity. Leaders Leaders are really the definers of reality and the definers of the experience for people, as well as direction and as well as defining roles and responsibilities and expectations. So this as a catch all. Leaders really have to ensure that there's clarity, that people understand what's expected. They understand what we're trying to get to, the purpose. They understand the why and that they um, that everybody understands their lane. They understand what they're responsible for. And when leaders work hard to create clarity, it helps everyone else just focus on their stuff and and, and work together. Uh, I often find that when there's problems or bottlenecks in an organization, it'll come up around uh, comments around, we're not sure what our job is. We're not sure who to report to. We're not sure who's responsible for what, you know, the goalposts keep moving. I hear things like that, which are all indicators that there's a lack of clarity. Yeah. Uh, the second part of that is uh, leaders really need to create a culture that attracts and retains the highest quality people. Um, it's, they're, we're in this really great um, low unemployment economy. So it's a buyer's market for employees and particularly if you're skilled and good at what you're doing. And uh, many owners haven't fully stepped into just what do I need to do to become attractive? And they usually think about like, how do I pay more? Or how do I put a ping pong table in my office or, you know, things like that, which isn't really what your high performers are looking for. High performers are looking for purpose in their job. And this isn't a millennial thing either. This is true. Just generally, people want to feel like there's a purpose to how they're spending their 40 hours a week. They want to feel challenged. They want to feel respected. This is huge. Uh, they want to feel that there's both respect from from the senior team and from their teammates they also want to feel that just their job has contributes to their sense of significance. They also want to feel trusted. They want to feel like they're being given responsibility and they're being trusted to pursue that. There's there's more to it than that, but those things really help uh, you start to create a culture where you will attract, and then if you maintain that, you'll retain the best people. What what it, there's some interesting studies around how you attract employees. And most of the studies are just kind of broadly, how do we attract any warm body into the, into our team? 
which is not really what you want to target. And the ones who look at how do you attract ideal employees, in other words, the ones who produce, have the highest amount of productivity or highest amount of return for a company, they're motivated by different things. And they're motivated by the stuff that I just talked about. The other employees are going to be more motivated by pay and, um, you know, looking at the benefits package, which is valuable and is important. You know, apples to apples, the better paying job will win out, but it's not the most important thing for, for high performers. Yeah. And, and I think this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, that most business owners are started by craftspeople or technicians, as Michael Gerber yeah. and the E-Myth calls it, people that are, that are good at specific craft, like the plumber um, or the, sure. the person that likes to cook, they own a restaurant. And so they, they are operating their business like it's a job. Yep. Instead of that, they're the leader and they're the vision caster. I love what you said about the the the, the leader, the owner of the business has to provide clarity and and set the vision and set the why. Where are we going? No, it's 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 really important because and it's interesting. I think um, I think a lot of owners underestimate a lot of leaders in general, even if they're not an owner, they underestimate how important that sense of purpose is. Um, to employees. I, I often, when I'm doing coaching or I'm beginning an engagement with an org, a company, I'll often interview a bunch of the employees in the company. And it's very common. It's the most common thing when I'm working with a high growth company where things are working well. I mean, there may be some challenges, but overall things are working okay. For people to tell me, they really, they're either very, very committed and loyal to that leader, the, the owner of the company or, or some manager or some executive. They, they, there's something about that person that people are committed to that person and that person's vision, or they just feel really drawn to the culture. They just like being there, or they really like what they're trying to accomplish. The mission motivates them. I hear those things without asking for someone to describe soft stuff like that. I hear that more than I hear pay. Mm. And that's just an important thing. And the research supports that. It's, it's not, I'm, get, I'm probably providing anecdotes, but the actual studies about what motivates people. And that's what most people, most owners and leaders forget. Because when people are leaving a company during an exit interview, it's so much easier to say, I found a better paying job someplace else than to say, I didn't feel respected here and I don't like you. <laughs> right. And they might not even recognize it. The, the, the employee yeah. may not recognize that that's, that's what they were missing. But they know right. it when they see it or yep. feel it. Yep. Yeah. When the when they move to a place where they feel like all their all their lights come on and they're really being maximized and they feel valued and they're part of a team that's doing something meaningful. I mean, they're like, oh wow, this and they may you're right, they may not be able to articulate it. Um, but even if they can, most of them won't communicate that because that that's a harder thing to communicate. It's a little bit more like, you know, I don't like the identity or who you are as a company. So it's easier to say, well, they're going to pay me two bucks more an hour. So I'm leaving right. or whatever, you know, X percentage more per year in salary or something. So and, and we only have a, a few minutes left, but I want to touch on, uh, you know, what what makes a business saleable so that a business owner can sell their business one day. And I know, you know, we we talked about, you know, establishing um, better leadership in place, but but specifically, what are the things that makes a business sellable? Uh, and I'm I'm guessing the first thing is not making the business revolve around the leader. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there's there's uh, there's at least eight drivers of business value, and I'll I'll just go into a couple of them here. Um, 
you know, people can go to, to my website if they want to, and there's a resource they can look at to kind of see the other drivers and score where they're actually at in their own business if they want to do that. Um, but uh, the major one really is uh, dependence on ownership or dependence on not necessarily even just ownership, but dependence on a key person. So sometimes an owner and her or his buddy uh, or friend start a business and it's really dependent on that other person's ability to manage things or to organize something or their relationship with certain customers or vendors or, or whatever. And um, it's, it's looking for single points of failure when it comes to leadership, when it comes to sales processes, when it comes to providing services. And so being able to um, make a business so that it can survive and do well uh, with any good leadership in place, but not any specific person having to be there is one of the key things. Um, another key element that a lot of people uh, don't always pay attention to has to do with things like uh, really having reoccurring revenues, like some way of making sure that they can show that um, uh, revenues will regularly come into the business. So setting up some kind of a subscription model or multi-year contracts with clients or finding ways to provide services that aren't dependent on people just showing up today, but somehow engages them on a long-term basis, um, if, if you're familiar with that kind of approach. But that that makes you more attractive to a buyer because you're not likely, that person's not likely to disappear just when there's a sign up saying under new management. Mm -hmm. And and these things that you're talking about, I'm assuming if the business owner wanted to even keep their business, it would still make their business better because it's not dependent on them. And it's something that they can put other leadership in place and they would have a, a, a more solid business. Yeah. What, what builds value is different than what builds profitability. Um, there, well, let me say that differently. What builds profitability doesn't necessarily build value. What builds value in a business will contribute to profitability. So a more mm -hmm. valuable business will just naturally, it's doing the things that make you more profitable. But you can get out there and hustle and sell more stuff and get bigger contracts and more customers and not become a more valuable business. And, totally. and what, what, you become, what creates value for a business is less about how many customers you have coming in and how strong your profit margins are. All those, those matter. Um, it's more about, um, without getting into the weeds, uh, businesses are often like a very, very overly simplified way of valuing a business is to look at your profitability and then you multiply it by some number. It's called mm -hmm. a multiplier. Usually people just randomly pick three or five. And, and when they do that, it's it's kind of the idea of the amount of future earnings or profit that you are buying when you buy the business, sort of the right. idea behind it. And uh, um, what we're, you make the most out of value when you do things that increase the multiplier. And the multiplier comes from owner, in, independence of owner, having ongoing uh, regular revenues coming into the business, having a strong management team, having a brand that people recognize and has value connected to it that's distinct from the owner. Um, having uh, replicable systems and structures and policies in place. And there's other elements that go with that as well. But there's about eight major things that um, if you focus on them, and most companies really just need to pull the lever on two or three, and they can triple or, or even, you know, 
multiply by, as I said earlier, about 500% their, um, the value of their business within a couple of years, which if you're a business owner, a lot of the owners that come talk to me, you know, the price that they originally are being valued when they do a true valuation is, is usually pretty disappointing for most owners. Yeah. Um, uh, most of them actually 70 to 80% will never find a buyer. That's the statistics. Most owners will never find a buyer or successfully their business won't survive a transfer to family or to management. And to change that, you focus on these things that increase your multiplier, which both contributes to profitability. If the owner doesn't want to sell right away, like they, they want to stay involved, but they don't want to be involved in the day to day. These are exactly the same things that allow you to have a business where you just check in once a month or, or whatever, and um, you're not having to be there all of the time, but you're still able to benefit from all of this hard work that you've put into it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Christian, this has been a uh, very informative. I, I mean, we could keep talking about this because this is so important, building the value. I mean, if a, if a business owner does the things that you're talking about with improving the value, it will improve the the profitability, which will improve the, the sale price. Yes. Um, yes. Absolutely. So where can people find you and, and learn more about those, uh, those eight value uh, levers? Yeah. So if they go to christianmunteen.com, so C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N, my last name's M-U-N-T-E-A-N.com, Christian Munteen. And you click on the tab that says Value Builder System. And underneath that, there'll be two different assessments. One takes about eight minutes. The other takes about 13 to go through. And it'll tell you how ready you are to sell your business or to scale. And it'll also, the other assessment will tell you how attractive your business might be. And this is really getting to the multiplier to a buyer. And um, both of those things will give you an idea of where you're at. They'll give you on a score of one out of 100. And uh, um, they'll also help you identify um, uh, the specific areas that you'll need to focus on to, to grow, or, or at least in the follow-up process, I can go over that with somebody. Excellent. So we'll put your uh, website in our show notes. But Christian, Great. thank you so much for being here. Adam, it was good talking to you. Thanks. Yeah. So, you know, again, if you'd like to, to learn more about Christian and see if he can help you improve the value of your business, feel free to reach out to his website. Again, we'll put that in the show notes. Uh, in the meantime, as Robert Kiyosaki says, it's not how much you make that counts, but how much money you keep. Absolutely. Sales is the making part. Profit is the keeping part. Let's go make more profit. Thank you, Christian. Thank you, Adam. The P is for Profit podcast is sponsored by the CFO Project. We help small business owners and entrepreneurs pocket bigger profits. If you're ready to discover the five changes required to boost your profits this quarter, you'll want to attend our latest presentation, Why Your Small Business Might Not Be As Profitable As It Should Be. Register at the CFOproject.com slash video.